welcome. You're listening to the podcast of First Church in Vacaville, California, Pastor Timothy Wisnett. We are so glad and honored that you would join us today, and we pray that this message you're listening to is a blessing to your day. We want to invite you to visit us online at firstchurch.app to get connected with us and learn about our service times. We hope to see you at a service or a special event sometime soon. This afternoon, amen. If you have your Bibles and will turn with me uh, to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I know we had a few of you with us in the Woodland service this morning. I don't always, um, not even mostly, preach the same thing in each service, but I do feel that today. And for those that were there this morning, um, I apologize that you're going to have to listen to it again. Um, but uh, you know, it never comes out the same way, that's for sure. And uh, but I've, I felt this so strong, and um, I'm, I'm thankful that the Lord, I'm, I'm glad we're part of a church where. Um, God's Spirit can move freely among us. And, and when God's Spirit moves freely, His Word can move freely. And I want to tell you something. Uh, our, our church is, is known far and wide for being a Word church, meaning uh, pre- you don't have to ask a preacher to come here twice. They love coming here to preach uh, because you are um, astute in the Word of God and you pray and you worship and uh, that being said, uh, if someone uh, gets up here don't have a prayer life or a connection or anointing, it, it kind of shows up because this is not a shallow church. Amen. This is a well-dug church. We have dug out, we have dug out wells, amen, in prayer and in worship. And I thank God that I am a part of that. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter number four, and we're going to begin reading at um, verse number seven amen four and seven but we have this treasure in earthen vessels somebody say we have this treasure in earthen vessels amen that the word earthen there um, simply in its base most basic form in, in the greek simply means fragile it's just a fragile vessel that's what we are you know nobody's tougher than being beyond their body amen uh, I've seen I've seen strong men brought down by sometimes the most simple of sicknesses or, or diseases bring them down uh, so Paul said we have this treasure in earthen or fragile vessels amen uh, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. That's why he didn't send angels to preach this gospel. That's why he didn't fill angels with the Holy Spirit. But us, the weak vessels, amen. The fragile vessels, the fallible vessels, so that the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Man, I'm, we, we're in perplexing times. It's okay to say I'm perplexed. I am perplexed, but I'm not in despair. 
Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Boy, I just, I wish I could just pull up a chair and teach on this for two or three hours. Did you hear that? The dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus. He said, in my body, I need the dying of Jesus so that in my spirit, I can have the life of Jesus. Amen. And then we're going to drop down to verse number 15 for time's sake. Amen. For all these things are for your sakes. Look at somebody and say, all these things are for your sake. What thing? The aforementioned things. The perplexities, the persecution, the sickness, the trial, the distress, the anxiety, the fear, the depression, the opposition. All of it. It's for your sake. Paul would also say, for all things work together for the good. Those who are called, the called according to the purpose of God. All things, you, you got to believe that all things are for your sake. That the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. Boy, he keeps using that word glory. Verse 16. For which cause we faint not. That means to surrender, to give up. We faint not. But though our outward man perish. How many can say my outward man is perishing? I woke up this morning. My lower back said, you're perishing. Yet the inward man is renewed day by day. I love her. If anybody's qualified to write verse 17, it's Paul. For our light affliction, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us. Look at your neighbor and say, your affliction is working for you. Ah, Oh, your pain's working in your favor. Your sickness is really working for you. Worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And that's a problem for us if we don't get verse 18. While we look not at the things which are seen, <laughs> but at the things which are not seen. I, I got a problem with that. How do you look at something you can't see? Right? He says, while we look not at the things which are seen, but we're looking at the things which are not seen. Here's why. For the things which are seen are temporal. But the things which are not seen are eternal. Hallelujah. We used to sing the old song, I'm bound for a city in the sky. Amen. I've never seen it before, but it's eternal. And I want to read verse 17 one more time. For our light affliction. Man, if anybody had a right 
to cry in their cup of tea, it would have been Paul. And he said, all that I went through, beaten, shipwrecked, naked, in peril, starvation, been in chains, been in dungeons, I've been all kinds of things forsaken by my own brethren, everything. It's just a light affliction. Yeah, he was got stoned. He said, but it's just a light affliction because it's just for a moment and it worketh for us a far more exceeding an eternal weight or value of glory. Amen. And, and I want to preach for a little while here this afternoon. Amen. On, on this thought. Perspectives of the persuaded. Perspectives of the persuaded. I believe God's going to change our perspectives today. Amen. I, I want to see as he wants me to see. I think far many of us are walking around with that first touch. I want him to touch me again that I am persuaded and my perspectives can change. Amen. Would you lift your voice and pray with me right now? Amen. Lord Jesus, I thank you today for your great presence, for your sovereign spirit that is in this house. Would you one more time reach down and anoint these fragile, corruptible lips of clay to speak as your oracle. Would you strengthen these precious saints of the Most High? Would you speak to them with clarity, God? Would you strengthen us, oh God? Would you renew us by your Spirit? Would you work in us a more eternal weight of glory, oh God, that we leave here different than the way that we walked in? In the name of Jesus, and everyone said amen. And would you just thank the Lord again? There's just so much liberty in this place. Would you give the Lord high praise? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen, amen. You can be seated. Look at somebody and say, perspectives of the persuaded. Amen. Now, I said that said this morning, I, I want to say it again. Uh, oftentimes when you read these particular verses, everybody gets into the country music mode where we're all going to cry, you know, and tear in our beer and all that kind of stuff. And my, my wife ran away in my favorite pickup truck and my dog ran away and, and, and the house burnt down and I lost my job and the bank kept my money and everything is... Poor, pitiful me and gloom, despair, and agony and all this kind of stuff. We're not going there. God's going to change our perspective through his word. I also want to say in the beginning of this, if you just give me a few minutes to kind of set a foundation from which I want to go from, is that, is that we live in a very different church age that we're living in in just the last uh, few few decades things have begun to change our, our perspective from the early church and that is that that we somehow equate no problems with God's favor that if I have problems if I have trials then God is obviously against me It's really antithetical to the early church's perspective. Um, we think that if, you know, 
we didn't get the job we submitted the application for, then, then God is against me. If I didn't get the car that I wanted or the raise or the different house or fill in the blank with all these temporal things, then we somehow think that God's against us. If, we, if everybody doesn't want to be our friend, Well, then God must, must and that doesn't mean we've got to go around being mean to people, but if everybody don't want to just, just fall over us to be our friend, then we, then we think that, that God's, if, if somebody lies on us or talks about us or any of that stuff, we, it's amazing that we take it out on God and our feelings get hurt and we get offended that how, how dare God allow something like that to happen to me. And just bear with me. And I, I know I'm probably not talking to anybody in this room. This is for our media ministry to go out on the World Wide Web because nobody ever thinks like that. Here, I, I understand that. You're too solid in your walk with God. Probably just me, the only one that can, that can get offended when, when God would dare let a problem roll my way. I mean, after all, you know, I, I, I try my best to live according to his word and living faith and, and how, how why, you know, God is, uh, according to uh, Joel Osteen and them, God's going to protect me from all that. And I, I shouldn't have a bad day. And, and if I have a bad day, then, then, you know, I'm doing something wrong and God is mad at me over it. For the early Christians for centuries, they just consider trials a part of living for God. This, in, in this generation in which we live, and I'm praying God help me change our perspective, we have become indignant when trials come our way. We think to ourselves, who, who does God think he is to let this happen to me? He said, well, I've never said that, but we think that. I deserve better than this. Amen. I, I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching to me and the other people that will listen to this later. I get it. Who, 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 why would God do Who does he think he is? I deserve better than this. Now, let's be honest with each other for just a moment. What we really deserve is hell. And I'm not trying to be hard or mean, but, but the Bible said that was truly our inheritance and our portion. Because of the sin we were born into and the iniquity that we have been shaped in, that what we really deserve is punishment. And, and if we weren't born that way, then just within a few years of us existing on this earth, we definitely deserved it. And by the time we got into our teens, it was piling up. Then we reached our 20s and, and in our 30s and we have a backlog of judgment that God would be just to put on us. That's what we deserve. We truly, and I'm, I'm not trying to be mean about it, we, we truly deserve eternity without God. So if that's what we deserve and God saved us from it, then even my afflictions are light because he's working a more eternal weight of glory. Amen. I, 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 it's going to be a little different. I, I'm kind of felt more Bible study mode today. 
I want to talk about God helping through his word to change our perspectives. We, we, have, become, we have become ignorant to God's eternal intelligence. We've become, we've become dumb to his divine plan for our life. We think that if it doesn't go our way, then God's not in control. When oftentimes God goes against our way to be in control. Our perspectives are skewed by this present day idea of Christianity. Now, I don't, don't listen. Don't get depressed on me. It's going to flip here in just a minute. Don't, so don't get depressed. Don't, it's like when I preach this or I start reading out the book of Revelations, man, people just start getting ready to go live in a cave somewhere. This is just terrible. It's horrible. But we, we, we somehow have inverted the plan of God and said that if I have any opposition, then, then God must not be for me. And I want you to think of how common that is in our perspective that as if God owes us a life without pain, a, a, a life without obstacles, a life without stress. And, and let's be honest, there, we, are, we have stress, but our stress in comparison with some other people is truly not stressful at all. On the other side of the planet right now, uh, in, in, on the continent of Africa, there are mothers and little children that are just going to bed uh, late into the night, and they're just now going to bed from working in mines, uh, with making five cents a day, and their little seven- and eight-year-old kids are working just as hard as the adults. I, I would think that's kind of stressful. Not knowing where their next meal's coming from, but somehow we've in inverted this to that the plan of God is some smooth sailing life without any turbulence, life without any disruption. God, here's my plan. This is my ideal of life. And then if anything gets in the way, it, it seems to gut punch us to the point where it's hard to have joy. It's, it's difficult to maintain victory. Um, uh, it, and if you can't maintain joy and victory, then it's even more challenging to have the right attitude while going through that because our frustration most of the time isn't with ourselves. It truly is, and let's be honest with God, that, and, and that God has allowed this to happen to us because if God is sovereign and he is, why would bad things happen to me? Amen. Why, why would these things come my way? Because the, the modern, postmodern idea and philosophy of Christianity, and let's just be uh, blunt about it, is nothing more than humanism and new ageism wrapped up in a few fancy scriptures. Amen. And some kind of pop psychology that, that says that if we're doing it right, we have no troubles and we have no opposition. But that is not the way of God. And that, that is not the way of the word for anybody that has ever fellowshiped God, set at the table of suffering and anybody that had communion with God walked through the valley of the shadow of death and anyone that was close to God had to go through things in their life and what they realized is my trial did not separate me from God but rather what I went through actually drew me closer to God oh hallelujah 
Oh, hallelujah. Jesus told his disciples, he said, I go away to prepare you a place. They protested. They didn't want Jesus to go. But had they known, had they had a revelation of what Jesus was talking about, that he would go away but come back into the comforter in the form of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If they would have truly known what Jesus was saying, rather than protesting, Brother Chase, the departure of his physical body, they would have been saying, I love you, Jesus, but go away. I love you, Jesus, but go ahead and get on out of here. Because if they only knew what Christ was getting ready to work in their life, too many times we cling to the manifestation that was only to be there for a moment because we are comfortable with the crutch that we have leaned on for so long that God says, if you will ever move on from this point, if you're willing to walk with me, amen, and trust me even when you can't see your way, you are going to know me more than you've ever known me before. But it won't be on the dance floor, and it won't be on top of the mountain, but if you really want to know me, I want you to take up your cross. I want you to feel the splinters of that sacrifice on your back. If you truly want to walk with me and have fellowship with me, amen, you're going to have to walk through some things in your life. I'm talking about perspectives of the persuaded. Amen. I don't, I don't exactly know how I preached it this morning, so I'm, I'm sure I'm doing it a little bit different. Amen. If this version don't turn out good, those that were there, this will recommend the morning version. Be honest with you, I ran the church laps pretty hard in the altar call. Started running laps. I ain't going to lie to you. That took something out of me. Amen. I didn't just ran them. I run them. Amen. I was running like I was being chased by Iowa's defense, man. I was running for everything I had. It's about to come out of my socks this morning. Amen. <clears throat> our, our, our perspectives have got to change. We, we, we've got to see it as, as God said. See, we only rejoice in the good things. Now listen, this, this isn't a criticism as much as it is an observation of truth that we find ourselves far more excited Logically so, by, by, by flesh, when the unexpected check shows up in the mail. We typically don't shout when the boss comes and says, we're reducing your pay by 15%. Amen. Man, it's like, really? This is in the Bible? Yeah. We, we typically want to shout when the miracle happens. We rejoice. But when the sickness or the affliction comes upon us, we want a pity party. But the perspectives of the persuaded are different. Matter of fact, Paul went to this level and said, we weep at the birth of a baby and we rejoice at the death of the saint. We flip it. There's nothing wrong with rejoicing over babies being born. Please understand me. I'm not saying next time somebody has a baby, we got to just wear sackcloth and ashes and weep over it. But Paul said, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of the saint. I mean, there, to, to me, outside of somebody being born again, there is, to me, nothing more beautiful and powerful than being at the homegoing 
funeral service of a saint of God when true worship breaks forth. There's people dancing and weeping. Listen, amen, I hope I outlive everybody. I have no plans of going anytime soon. But if I do, don't, now go ahead and cry at my funeral. That's okay. I want you to cry. I don't want everybody laughing the whole time at my funeral. I'm going to get up out of that box and say, hey, I thought, you know, you cared about me. You cry a little bit. We'll pass out some, you know, some Kleenexes and stuff. But, amen, but don't, don't let anybody out of that building without rejoicing and shouting because I will have kept the faith. And just so you know, if, if you die right, if you die as a child of God, I plan to be dancing around your casket too. I plan to rejoice in the God of your salvation. But, but we, we, we only know how to weep in the trial and rejoice in the miracle. But, but the perspectives, the perspective, we, we think when the trial comes our way that there, there is some kind of a strange thing, some kind of unknown force. Why does this happen to us? How come this is happening to us? Uh, I'm, I'm going to give you some perspectives, New Testament and speaking. Uh, let's see what... Let's see what first, uh, let's see what Peter has to say, Brother Chase, because surely Brother Peter is going to tell us that we're right in our thinking that if a trial comes our way, we ought to be indignant about that trial. If problems come our way, we ought, we ought to be obtruse to it because surely it wasn't supposed to happen. So let's let Peter verify what I just said. Go ahead. First Peter 4. Verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trials. What? Think it what? Not strange? Not strange. For what? Concerning the fiery trials. Fiery trials? Wait, I was just talking about trials. Now Peter's talking about fiery trials. He said, and I'm giving you modern day vernacular, stop panicking when you have Fiery trials. Some of us panic when they get the order wrong at the drive-thru. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. Come on, some of us, some of us panic when we don't get enough appreciation from the server or the clerk or or what we panic, we freak out. Oh, why is God allowing this to happen to me? There's so many rude and mean people in my life. I can't believe that's not even a fiery trial. That's just people being people. But Peter said, you shouldn't think it's a strange thing when all hell breaks loose against you. That's right, amen. He said, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. Go ahead, Brother Chase. As though some strange thing happened unto you. As if it's some strange thing. I mean, Peter's writing about this like, quit freaking out about fiery trials. Have you lost your mind? These things are gone. Are you a child of God? Get ready. Fiery trials are coming. Amen, 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 amen. I mean, we... uh, uh, North American secular Christianity has ruined the Bible. That's right. Amen. Jesus said, want to follow me? Good. Everybody hates you for my name's sake. That's right. That's right. That's right. We don't shout over that. He said, boys are going to reject you when they do. Shake the dust off your feet and go to the next city. That's right. We invite somebody to church and they say they're not interested. We curl up in the fetal position in a prayer room for a month. Oh, nobody wants it. Nobody... Shake the dust off. 
you ought to be surprised when everybody says they'll come to church with you. Amen. As though some strange thing happened. Y'all pray for them because I cut them off a lot. They're doing great. We're doing it old-fashioned. It's how we grew up in preaching. You always had somebody reading scripture. Amen. Go ahead, Brother Chase, verse 13, if you would. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering. Hold on, right there. He said to what? Rejoice? Surely he meant throw a pity party. Surely what, it must be a bad rendering of the, of the Greek there. Surely what Peter meant was, but let's boo-hoo and cry on each other's shoulders uh, when, when Christ's sufferings roll around. Come on. Amen. Come on. Peter said, I'm, I'm talking about perspectives of the persuaded. Peter said, rejoice in as much as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings. Yes, amen. Why? Read on. That when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Oh, man. <laughs> There's that glory word again. He said rejoice when you are counted worthy enough to have some of Christ's suffering. And, and si hey, listen, Christ didn't get cut off in the Starbucks line. Christ's suffering was, was, was not getting his clothes back, amen, from the cleaners on time. Christ's suffering was not them running out of the product he wanted at the grocery store. Christ went through some stuff. And Peter said, well, if you're going to rejoice, you need to rejoice when you, be, when you begin to suffer for Christ. And as a matter of fact, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. So the perspective of the persuaded is, I don't just shout when I get things good happening. I'm not just going to be excited when great things happen in my life. Amen. But I'm going to rejoice when bad stuff starts happening. I'm going to give a hallelujah anyhow. He has allowed me to walk with him and be in suffering with him. Now, let me be clear. This is not a sadist type of a, 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 of a doctrine a, a, that God gets pleasure when we suffer. That's not what this is. Amen. If you never suffer, God don't trust you. Let me say that again. If you don't suffer, God don't trust you because he's not going to put more on you than what you can handle. So if you got some stuff happening, then just know God thinks highly of you. Because God hides his fellowship within the suffering of life. He hides his most he hides his most intimate moment with his child within the suffering of life. And it doesn't mean that God's going to beat you over the head every day so that he can commune with you. What he is saying is when those things happen in your life, instead of letting them break you, let it draw you into the shadow of the most high God where you can commune with him, where you say my hope is not in this world. My hope is not in this life, but my hope is in Jesus. Jesus Christ and nothing less. My hope is in him and I will rejoice in that communion. 
Okay, so that was that was Peter. That was Peter. So, um, well, Paul's the smart one, so surely he's going to disagree with Peter, right? You know, Paul is the one that's got his doctorate of jurisprudence. He's a lawyer and a scholar of the word. So, I'm about to read. Brother Chase is going to read some scriptures. Going to prove Peter wrong. Peter says you're supposed to rejoice in your suffering. I think Paul's about to prove that when you suffer, you can bawl and boohoo and squall and turn on George Jones and feel sorry for yourself. Let's see what let's see what Paul says. I'm sure he's going to contradict it. Romans five. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we also we have access by faith into His grace, wherein we stand and rejoice. In the hope of the glory of God. Sounds like he's contradicting him so far. Keep going, Paul. Tell Peter he's wrong. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation also. What, what, hold on. What? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we, we glory, glory in what? Tribulations. We, we glory in tribulation? Surely we glory when we get the new car. Surely we glory when we get the promotion or the raise. Surely we get, we, we glory when, a, uh, when some kind of unexpected blessing rolls our way. No, we give God glory in that. But, but Paul said, Brother Peter, let me, let me just back up what you preach. If we're going to glory, we're going to glory in tribulation. Because I'm not going through something just because God gets joy out of my pain and gets pleasure out of my suffering. But when I go through tribulation, I'm going to rejoice because I know that tribulation, God's about to show something in my life. Now, now we're going to stick with the book. This, This is expository preaching, meaning we're going to stick on the scripture. Go ahead. Knowing that tribulation worketh patience. Okay, so tribulation worketh patience. Patience. Stop praying for patience. That's literally, quite literally, one of the dumbest prayers you can pray. God, give me patience. God, give me patience. Give it to me right now, God. If you pray for patience, guess what you're finna get? Tribulation. Because the only way God can work patience in your life is to send tribulation to you. You say, God, give me patience. God says, okay. Come here, devil. Sick him. And tribulation starts happening. Why? Because tribulation worketh what? Patience. But it doesn't stop there. Keep going. And patience, experience. Uh Uh-huh. And experience, hope. Hope. Go ahead. And hope maketh not ashamed. And hope what? Maketh not ashamed. Maketh not ashamed. A shame. Thank you, Brother Jake. Isn't that awesome? How it works like he said, and hope what? Make not Maketh ashamed. not ashamed. Why? God is shed abroad in all hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So when all this happens, the love of God shines through us like a spotlight through the Holy Ghost, which is given to us. I want to stop on that first phrase, and hope what? Maketh not ashamed. Now, what is hope a result of? Hope is a result of tribulation. Tribulations work with patience. Patience experience. Experience. It's a domino there's tribulation. 
Oh, God, I want to know you. Okay, here's some tribulation. Here's some patience. Here's some experience. Here's some hope. And it usually comes about in the form of something you wouldn't be happy about receiving. Amen. Amen. Usually comes in the form of a doctor saying, there, there's some things happening here. That's good. That's good. Usually comes in the form of, of the vehicle breaking down. Or, or the kids acting crazy. Usually comes in the form of relationships you thought were solid being broken. Usually comes in the form of betrayal. Usually comes in the form of losing a job. It's something that you didn't want to happen happens. Amen. And when that tribulations happen, that tribulation works patience. And that patience worketh what? Experience. And experience? Hope. And hope what? Maketh not ashamed. Now, that doesn't make sense unless you understand our flesh. You see, we praise God. And listen, this isn't, listen to me. I don't want you to get this wrong. We, when we worship God, we worship by faith even in the trial, knowing that God's going to work it out. That's right. That's right. Amen. Amen. But I don't think we truly worship God for the tribulation. That's true. That's very true. There you go. I'm just sit right here for a minute. I shouldn't run that fast again. I'm just kidding. He said, what? Make it not ashamed. Why? Because we would truly be ashamed to be in a public setting and thank God for the check bouncing. Come on, that's good. That's why we don't lift our hands and say, thank you, Lord, for the bad doctor's report. That's why it's really difficult for us to lift our hands and say, God, I thank you. Even though I got a demotion on my job and people lied on me and I, and I didn't get that, that new job that I wanted, Lord, I want to thank you. We don't do that. That's right. That's right. You want to know why? We got this stuff wrapped around our skin, our, our bodies. It's called flesh. And it's prideful. That's right. That's right. I submit to you, there's probably been very few times we have been able to sincerely worship God. In spirit and truth. We typically don't lift our hands and say, Lord, I want to worship you even though I'm hurting right now. Even though my marriage is on the rock and mine's not on the rocks. But even, I'm just saying, allegorically, Amen. If it were, Lord, I thank you that, that Lord, you're going to work this out. And I think we're too ashamed to do that. We don't want people to think less of our walk with God. That's right. Amen. That's right. So we put on a pretense that everything's all right. We, we act like everything is, is all right on Peach Street and the train is just as gravy as it's ever been and we get up here and, and, and Brother Vinny gets up there and whoops on them drums like few can and they get up here shouting and dancing and, man, we get, and we don't want people to know that we're hurting so we just shout in it and I'm not saying that when you're hurting you don't need to worship God please don't do the other thing amen nobody wants to be around people that boohoo all the time over their problems amen, amen. loneliest party there is is a pity party and I ain't showing up 
Amen. And we get to go and we get and, and we're worshiping. And I get we're worshiping him by faith. Amen. But the apostle said we should praise him and rejoice in tribulation. But we want to hide that. We want to somehow our flesh gets this pride that we don't want people to know that we're hurting or we're in pain. Amen. So we we get a little too ashamed to praise God with our face tore up and tears dripping off our face uh, and allowing ourselves to express. Uh, amen. The the desperation of our soul that we're going through. So no, we hide it with a smile. Amen. We get to go and the drum gets to being whooped. Amen. We get to singing. Amen. Brother Michael's over here walking the dog on the bass. Amen. And Brother brother Lucas is over there. And Brother Vince is over there. On the drums. And we get it going like that. And we, man, we get to moving. We even give God the old ho- sanctified chicken wing. We just start doing this in circles. And we get to going like, we want everybody to think everything's kosher and everything's cool because I don't got problems because problems mean I'm not faithful. Problems mean God don't like me. Problems means that I'm human like everybody else and certainly I'm not. But the apostle said, hope maketh not ashamed. I am walking through hell right now, but God is still worthy to be praised. I've got pain in my body, so I'm going to rejoice that God is still good. My family's broken, but I'm going to rejoice in tribulation. Oh yeah, I'm talking about sincere worship. I didn't get the job that I wanted, but it's still worthy. I'm hurting financially, but it's still worthy. Because tribulation worketh patience. And ultimately, patience and tribulation is going to work what? Hope. And hope will what? Make you not be ashamed. Because I could give a rip what you think about me. I'm hurting. God knows I'm hurting. And I'm not going to put on my little sanctified mask and act like I ain't got no problems and I'm praising him because God is so good and I'm so perfect. I'm going to praise him because God is so good and I am so imperfect and some of the problems I have are because I made dumb choices. I get it, but I'm going to worship him anyway because hope maketh not a shame. I'm not ashamed to praise him. I'm not ashamed to worship. I'm not ashamed to be in a trial. My trial doesn't mean God's mad at me. My trial means God's got confidence. He said it's your glory. The glory in tribulation. I'm trying to move along quickly here. Hey man, let's see what uh, let's see what Brother James would say. Somebody's got to contradict this idea of of rejoicing in tribulation. Certainly one of these apostles are going to say, yeah, you know those other guys, they're a little bit, you know, they're kind of dingbats. So just listen to me. Surely that's what Brother James is going to say, right? He's the chief apostle. He's the leader of the apostle. He was over the Jerusalem church in the revival there, somewhere between 80 and 110, 120,000 believers in the area of Jerusalem. So surely James is going to say, forget all of that. Go boo-hoo when you have problems. You don't have to rejoice in that. Matter of fact, troubles, they're not of God. Surely that's what James is going to say. So let's read what James says in James 1. James chapter 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brother, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. What? Are you? I want to read it one more time. Read that one more time. 
Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. The word temptations there means adversary. It means tests and trials. He said, my brethren, count it all joy. That's right. That's what he says. That's what he says. When you fall into diverse temptations. Read on. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Oh, here we go. Go ahead, works what? But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. I think they mean this stuff. Put up verse number verse number three again. Brother, uh, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. And every time you see that word patience, it's going to tell you it means hope. And hope means not ashamed. Too many of us live our life being ashamed of our tribulation. I, I know it's not. I even wrote over here in the margins of my notes. This will not make anyone shout today. I didn't, but I should have. All right. Okay, so, so James is in on this whole conspiracy. I mean, surely God doesn't want us to be excited about our suffering. Surely he doesn't. Let's see what Paul wrote to the church in Colossae in Colossians 1 and 24. Surely he's going to help us out here. Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ by uh, in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. <laughs> So Paul takes it to another level. He said, I rejoice in my sufferings for you. He said, you done put me through some stuff. And I'm rejoicing about it. I'm rejoicing because of the afflictions that I have. And it's because I'm being afflicted for you. I'm talking about perspectives of the persuaded okay okay we're, we're in this now we're in this now okay let's see uh let's go to the second letter of corinthians and let's go to the 12th verse because okay i get i get rejoicing in suffering well i don't really it's not my nature i wouldn't do that um i i, I can understand that brother chase rejoice in suffering take glory and whatever but surely, surely, we should not take any kind of pleasure in that. Read us what Paul wrote. He's going to bail us out of this. We're going to have a read. We're going to hand out Kleenexes here in a minute. We're just going to cry and feel sorry for each other. Because surely, go ahead. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice. I asked the Lord three times. That it might depart from me. That it might depart. God, please take this away from this second corinthians 12 and 8 please take this away from me god three times he prayed this one prayer god please i can't handle this anymore i don't want this any 
more. He prayed it three times and finally God spoke to him and said this. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. He didn't even give him a reason. He didn't say, I'm not going to do it for this, or I'm not going to do it for that, or I will later, or if you'll run the aisles three times, if you'll give an extra $100, I'll take it away. He didn't say any of that. He said, my grace is sufficient for thee. Mm-hmm. Now, Jesus is about to tell him why his grace is sufficient. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore. Most gladly, therefore. Will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me? My grace is sufficient. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will glory in my infirmities. And when he said glory in infirmities, he did not mean I'm going to go around telling everybody about my bursitis and arthritis and bunions and heel spurs and all the pains I have in my back and all that. No, that's not what he meant. I'm not going on Facebook to try to get sympathy for everybody over a little, every little bump and nick that I have. That's not what he meant when he said most gladly, therefore, I will glory in my infirmities. That's not what he meant. I'm going to tell everybody so they'll feel sorry for me. What Paul said, I will glory in my infirmities. Why? That the power of Christ may rest upon me and I cannot get the power of Christ unless I am willing for him to be made strong and the only way he can be made strong in me is when I'm made weak in my body or I'm made weak in tribulation or I'm going through some stuff. If you want Christ to be made strong in you, you better be willing to sit at the table of affliction. That's what he does. God, God doesn't get pleasure out of it. But our flesh is so corrupt that when our flesh is strong, Christ is weak. But when our flesh is weak, Christ is made strong. This is why, Brother Chase, in Philippians 3, if you'll share that with us, this is why Paul writes in Philippians 3 and 10, if you knew Brother Price, amen, this, this, if he had a theme, this was his scripture, amen, and I share this with our Bible school students all the time because I want them to know this, but I'm talking about a revelation. I know you're not going to get this, amen, on, on, on uh, uh, social media with the TikTok theologists, amen, you're not going to get it with the Oprah psychologists behind pulpits, amen, because that doesn't fit the mode of what postmodern and Christians want, but I'm going to get a perspective of the persuaded here today about what the Bible says because Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10, this is what he said his prayer was. That I might know him. That I might know Jesus. And the power of his resurrection. And the power of his resurrection. And the fellowship of his suffering. And the fellowship of his suffering. Being made conformable unto his death. Being made conformable unto his death. What Paul said was simply this. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. But the only way I'll know him in the power of his resurrection is when I know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. Quit taking your suffering and your trials and your tribulations. Quit that as a bad thing for I read in your text that the apostle said that the afflictions are working for you they're working for your good they're going to make you more like Jesus they're going to make you more like him they're going to make you to fellowship with him 
I got I to gotta try to close because Jesus lived this way. As a matter of fact, how could Jesus go? How many would agree that Jesus went through some stuff in his life? Amen. I think that would be an understatement. Amen. But how could Jesus do it? And you know, not, not, not one time, not one time, brother guy, do I find Jesus having a pity party. Not, not one time. Brother Michael, do I, do I see Jesus gathering his disciples around the fire saying, woe is me? Not one time. How did he do it? What was he looking at? You see, our problem is we get stuck looking in the past of what Jesus did or what he didn't do. And how you had to work it out for yourself or you had to do it for yourself or you're stuck in the present trying to get it worked out. No, we need to get our eyes on the future. I want to see how did Jesus do it? After all, to be a Christian means I'm trying to be a follower of him. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Amen. What do I, how did Jesus do this? How did he do this? Amen. And how people follow him? Well, the writer of Hebrews tells us, amen, Brother Garza, if you'll read that this is how Jesus did it. Wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. First thing he knew is he had a cloud of witnesses there. Go ahead. Let us lay aside every weight. Every weight and and the sin that doth so easily beset us. Yes. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. How did Jesus do it though? Go ahead. Looking unto Jesus Uh the author and finisher of our faith. Yes who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. How did Jesus willingly take a cross on his back, nails in his hands? How did he do it? Because it was joy. What was set before Christ that he could endure the cross? There was joy. You got to say, Pastor, you're losing your mind to think that Jesus found joy during his persecution. Nope, I can't find anywhere he laughed and said, this is great, hit me again. No, he did not do that. But the Bible said, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. In other words, listen to me. If you can ever get your eyes off of where you are and where you've been, if you can ever get your nose, amen, out of looking at your problems online and trying to find everything that's wrong, if you will lift up your eyes and see the joy that is ahead of you. If you can ever get fixated on the promise of God in your life, if you can ever for the joy that all this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond. If you can ever get your eyes on the joy that is set before you, you can endure the cross that you got right now. You can endure the tribulation that you have right now. You can walk through anything for the joy that was set before him. I feel the Holy Ghost here right now. Mm. Okay. I think I can endure the cross if my perspective is right. I'm not suffering for nothing. I'm suffering. I'm going through this because God's got a purpose in my pain. 
There's a strategy through my suffering right now. There is a point to the test I'm in right now. For the Bible said for every temptation, that word temptation means trial, that God has what? Already made a, God has already made a way of escape. That means that if God has already made a way of escape, it means that God has already walked through the trial that I'm walking in right now. There is no temptation that is common to man. There is nothing that I go through that God has not already went through himself. And if he went through it, he provided a way for me to get out of it. And so if I keep looking, I'm going to find my way of escape because Jesus is the author and the finisher of my faith. Now, let me read one more passage of scripture, Brother Lucas, if you'll come. Amen. Like I said this morning, we ain't playing funeral music. Amen. We're going to rejoice. You really want to freak the devil out? He thinks he's got you whipped anyway because some opposition came your way. You really want to blow the devil's mind? Don't let what you're going through hinder you from worshiping God in the truth of what you're in right now. I'm not going to do all this right here because I don't want people to know I'm in trouble. I'm going to do all this right here because I'm in trouble and because I find that in my weakness, he's made perfect. David wrote this in Psalms 51. One of my favorite scriptures. He says in Psalms 51 and 8, make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. I'm talking to some people with some broken bones right now who are spiritually broken right now. David said, Lord, make me to hear. Make me. I want you to make the bones that you broke to rejoice. Would you stop giving the devil so much credit? Every time something... You burn popcorn in the microwave. Well, that devil didn't want me to eat popcorn. Must be the devil. We give the devil more credit than he deserves, more power than he has. more. Hey, we give him more opportunity than we should. Every time something goes wrong, devil did it, devil did it, devil. Devil wasn't anywhere near it. It was a devil, it was a devil. It wasn't the devil. Could have been God. And how, we, how dare we misidentify the privilege of fellowshipping him in our suffering. Got a headache. Must be the devil. Could be God. Could be God allowing it to happen. I, 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 re, I remember, I, to, I told you all that this morning. It always turns out different. I remember being in the hospital and uh, I was on life supports and was in critical care for almost three months. And I remember when a friend of mine called me I was in Dallas. I'd been in the hospital over a month and a half. And he called me and he said, he said, man, I'm praying for you. And I said, thank you. And in my mind, I, I, 
look, I'm, I'm not going to act like I just set up in the hospital and just spoke in tongues all day and just was getting these powerful revelations from the whole time I was in the hospital, angels would walk in and hand me sermon notes and that kind of, that didn't happen. Matter of fact, I never felt the presence of God until days before I got out. It was the deepest depression I'd ever been in in my life. Matter of fact, before my wreck, I didn't even believe in depression. I thought that was for weak-minded people. I'm just being honest. I don't think that now. That's why I did think. And he called me and he said, I've been praying for you. I said, man, I appreciate it. He said, you know, I don't want you to take this the wrong way. Usually when somebody says that, I don't want you to take this the wrong way. That means they're throwing it the wrong way. Don't take this the wrong way, but you're ugly. You know, well, how much am I supposed to take that, right? He said, I've been praying. I feel like God spoke to me. And, I'm, and uh, he said, you know, if, if that car would have been going just a little bit faster, a little bit slower, you, she would have missed you. He said, I mean, just by one second, one second. He said, I was thinking about it. Your cars wouldn't even have met. You wouldn't be in that hospital right now. I'm sitting there like, you know, okay. And then he said, but God so divinely orchestrated you to be at that spot at that time. See, I don't, I never call my wreck an accident. I call it a wreck. If I do, it's a slip. I, 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 I rarely say that I've ever called it an accident. I call it a wreck. And I was, so, when he said that to me, I was so mad. And, and I was on a lot of pain medication too. He said, God so divinely that she would be there at the right time to hit you head on. God so designed it. And I said, you're a jerk. Click. And I hung up. That was, that was my reaction. I said, you're a jerk. And I hung up on you. You want to know why? Because I was thinking the way we think. Then I got to thinking about it. He was right. And some of you are thinking, you mean, you think God had that happen? Well, if he didn't, he's not very powerful God, is he? I'm talking about perspectives of the persuaded. Well, if he did, he's not much of a God. If he couldn't stop it. See, the moment you start embracing that God is truly in control of your life, you'll quit blaming everybody else. And you'll let the bones that he broke rejoice. Now I'm going to close with this. I'm going to close with this passage. And then we are going to let God change our perspective. Go ahead. Romans 8, 35. Uh-huh. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate us? Shall tribulation? Shall tribulation separate us? Or distress? Shall distress separate us? Or persecution? Shall persecution separate us from the love of or Christ? Or famine? Shall famine separate us from the love of Christ? Or nakedness? Shall or nakedness peril? separate us from the love of Christ? Shall peril separate us from the love of Christ? Shall a sword, sword. separate us from the love of Christ? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed for all the day long. For thy sake. We're killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Uh-huh. Nay, 
In all these things, we are more than conquerors. But in all these things, we are more than conquerors. That loved us. For I am persuaded. For I am persuaded. That neither death. Neither death. Nor life. Nor life. Nor angels. Nor angels. Nor principalities. Nor powers. Nor nor things present. present, Nor things to come. come, Nor height. Nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. See, when you're persuaded, you'll look at all the aforementioned things, height, depth, nakedness, peril, sword. You'll look at all of that and say, any of that that comes my way is just another reason for me to rejoice in the God of my salvation. Would you stand with me today? It's just another reason. Oh, hallelujah. Some of us, listen, we've wept far too long feeling sorry for ourselves. And you can get mad at me and you can rationalize your way out of it, but if you'll be honest with yourself and God, amen, we, we have patted ourselves on the back for well, poor me. I went through this. Poor me. That happened to me. Poor me. This happened. No, when you get the perspective of the persuaded, you realize that nothing happened to you that wasn't by design, that God didn't have enough confidence to let it happen in your life. And the reason he let it happen in your life is because he's got confidence in you. And the reason he's got confidence in you because he wants to fellowship with you. He wants to commune with you. He wants to dine with you. He wants to have a relationship with you. And he does it inside the vessel of suffering and tribulation. So don't get mad and backslide when bad things happen. Don't give up on God when bad things happen. You need to get a perspective of the persuaded and you need to learn how to rejoice in tribulation. You need to learn how to rejoice and suffering. You need to learn how to praise and give God glory for this is a light affliction. Amen. Now I want anybody right now, amen, is there anybody in this place that's got a trial? By the lifting of your hand. Do you have a trial? Do you got some tribulation in your life? Amen. For those that don't see me afterwards, I want to know how you live so perfect that you don't have any problems in your life. Amen. In this life, the Bible said, in this life you shall have tribulation. Amen. Some of us got tribulation and we borrowed others' people too. Amen. We got it in spades. Amen. If you got tribulation in your life, I want you to lift your hand right now because God's about to change our perspective. God's about to change our perspective. Instead of cursing what has come upon you, you need to learn to rejoice that God counted you worthy enough instead of getting angry because it didn't happen the way you wanted it. We can't allow a toddler mentality to get into a relationship with God. We gotta say, God, it may not have been the way I wanted it. It may not have been the way I would have done it, but here I am in this pain. Here I am in this trial. Here I am with this suffering. Here I am with this tribulation, and I'm gonna learn to praise you and rejoice in the midst of it. I'm going to learn to not be ashamed that I've got this problem. I'm not ashamed that I'm walking through this tribulation. You loved me enough to fellowship with me. You loved me enough to walk with me.
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now here's what I want you to do. We're going to take a few moments and we're going to thank God for his sovereignty. I don't want you to say, Lord, I thank you because I'm going to get a million dollars. I thank you because I'm getting a new car. I don't want you to do none of that. Don't do none of that. Name it, claim it, blab it, grab it stuff. I want you to thank God strictly because he is God, because he is Lord, and because he is sovereign. And what you are doing in your thanksgiving is you are crucifying the flesh that says, I know better. You are crucifying the will of your carnality that says, I know a better way when you submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I want you to lift your hands and do that right now. I want you to thank him for his sovereignty. Lord, I thank you today because you are God and you are sovereign and you are the Lord of hosts and you are the King of glory and there is none like you and there is none beside you and there is none besides you. You are the only King. You are the only wise God. You are the sovereign potentate of the universe. You are the King of glory. By your own will, you formed the earth. By your word, by your hand, you lifted the mountains to their peak. By your authority, the ocean stopped on the land. By your design, you hung the stars in the cosmos. You are sovereign and you are Lord. You sit high and lifted up. You sit upon the circle of the earth. The heavens are your throne. The earth is your footstool. There is no God beside you. There is no God like you. You are the King eternal. You are the Lord of glory. You're the only sovereign wise God. You are in control alone and all by yourself. You are Lord. You are God. You reign on high. You are majestic. You are glorious. You are mighty. You are holy. You are wonderful. You are indescribable. You are powerful. I worship you. I bow at the throne of your sovereignty. I adore you. I love you. Come on, talk to him like that. You don't need to speak those kind of words. I praise you. I bow at your throne. I submit to your lordship. Lord, I'm okay with what you've let happen in my life. I may not have wanted it, but I'm going to change my perspective. And I'm going to learn to rejoice in the God of my salvation. Lord, I thank you that you counted me worthy enough. I thank you that you wanted this fellowship with me. I thank you, Lord, for every trial you brought me in, you brought me through, and you brought me out of. I thank you for every sickness you've let my come my way. I thank you for every pain I've ever had in my body. I thank you, Lord, for every tribulation and trial. I thank you, Lord, for every upset and every downfall. I thank you, Lord, because you are sovereign. You are the king of glory. You are the eternal one. You are the rose of Sharon. You are the lily of the valley. You are the life. You are the light. You are the king eternal. There is none like you. There is none beside you. Your name is holy. Your name is mighty. 
Father, your name is powerful. There's no name like your name. There's no God like you. You are the king. You sit high and you look low. Your ear is not deaf. Your eye is not blind. Your arm is not short. You have not aged. You have not weakened. You are the everlasting one. For he that keepeth Israel neither slumbers nor sleepeth. I thank you, God, that you're aware of my situation. I thank you, God, that you're in control. Come on, talk to him like that. You ought to put your flesh in the Holy Ghost headlock. Talk to God like that. There's nobody like you. Be ye lifted up, the everlasting doors. Be ye lifted up, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong in battle. The Lord mighty in battle. He is the King of glory. I will bless the name of the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul doth make a boast in the Lord. Humble shall hear the love and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and delivered him out of his fears. Oh, the Lord is great and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness, beautiful for situation, is the joy of the whole earth. It's Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. You are the Lord eternal. You are the Lord of glory. You are the Lord of all. You are the Lord majestic. You are the Lord. You're going to praise your way into a healing. You're going to shout your way into a miracle. I thank Thank you, Lord, because you're sovereign. I thank you, Lord, because you're good. Quit telling God how big your problem is. Start telling your problem how big your God is. I feel perspective changing. I feel perspective changing. You ought to keep talking like that. I know you're used to me doing all the praying for you. You need to do it for yourself. You need to open your mouth. I know you can pray in tongues, but you need to speak it in English. There's nobody like my God. There's nobody like my King. He's the Lord mighty. He's the Lord eternal strength. There's nobody like that. You see what's happening? You see what's happening? Your perspective is shifting. I am persuaded that neither height nor depth, nor principalities or powers, nor things present or things to come, there is nothing that can separate me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Perspectives are shifting right now. In the name of Jesus, he said, Pastor, if I praise him, I'm going to get healed. You might, you might not. He will. He's worthy to be praised. Pastor, am I shouting my way out of my problem? Not necessarily. I'm shouting because I got problems. I'm rejoicing because he's considered me worthy to suffer. And in my suffering, I fellowship him. And I'm more like him. And I get to know him. This is key. This is key. You ready? I want you to listen to me. 
You're about to take your worship to another level. I don't want you to praise God in spite of your problem. I want you to praise God for your problem. I spent 45 minutes giving you that in scripture. He said, in my infirmities, I rejoice. In my, in my tribulation, I rejoice. In tribulation, I glory. In persecution, I glory. I don't want you to praise him in spite of it. I want you to jump up in the middle of your worst problem. And I want you to say, thank you, Lord. You are sovereign. Thank you, Jesus. You are mighty. Thank you. sounds crazy but you ought to do it you ought to step in the aisle and do it you can come to the front and do it something's happening something's shifting in your perspective I'm not living here the same I've carried this depression long enough I've carried this anxiety and fear long enough come on are you ready you ought to step up on this altar right now you ought to bring your problems with praise come on you ought to bring your tribulation with thanksgiving you ought to bring your sickness with thanksgiving come on come on you ought to step out right now You're worthy. You I don't know why I'm going what I'm going time, through, but you're worthy. Thanks again for joining us for this podcast. It's such an honor that we could have you, and we pray you were blessed by the word today. We want to stay connected with you, and so give us a follow on our social media pages on Facebook or Instagram. You can find all of those on our website at firstchurch.app. You can also stay connected with us through that uh, website and you can download it as an app on your phone from there. And so until the next time, we pray you're blessed. Have a great week in Jesus' name.